What's fueling the rise of violent crime in our city? Is there anything we can do about it? Now, 630 Chad Mornings presents an in-depth conversation. Is Edmonton a safe city? 737 here on 630 Chad Mornings. Uh, important conversations that we're having this week. We began yesterday. Today we want to move on and 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 talk. We talked with the, the city police yesterday, but today we want to move on and talk about the homeless situation. There are a lot of people who say they go downtown or they go into the Chinatown area, they go around Boyle Street, uh, and they feel unsafe because of the homeless population that is down there. They don't understand. They don't get it. They feel threatened. Some people who come from maybe in the suburbs. Is that fair? Is that uh, is is that a contributor to a safe city, or is this a different set of problems we're dealing with? And whether it is or isn't, certainly the problem has multiplied. Since the beginning of COVID, there are now double as many homeless people in our city than there was before. There's 3,000 people that are homeless here in Edmonton. And when you go into those areas that Daryl was just describing, downtown, the Chinatown area, Boyle Street, Alberta Avenue, you know, you you see it and you see it at all times of the day. So we're going to get into what the problem really is with our next guest, uh, who's the executive director of Boyle Street Community Services, Jordan Reiniger. Jordan, good morning. Thanks so much for being on with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So Jordan, this problem, as I said, has really, really grown. There are a lot more people that are experiencing homelessness now than were at the beginning of COVID. What are some of the reasons for that? Yeah, I mean, I think there were obviously very clearly cracks in our system and, and a lot of people falling through them before COVID, but they were kind of blown wide open as a result of the pandemic. And so a lot of what we're seeing now is just a, a real escalation in the uh, the mental health crisis that we're seeing that are, is playing out on our streets. So a lot of people who uh, had a, had supports and things to rely on sort of before COVID, but when those supports went away, um, their situation deteriorated. So there's a lot more people who are struggling as a result of just a lack of supports and the pandemic. All of the, the struggles that many of us had through the pandemic, but people who are already on the edge um, have, have got to much worse space. So I think that really what we're dealing with in a lot of respects is the fallout of the pandemic and that while well, the, you know, knock on wood, the health, uh, worst of the health crisis is over, um, that the social fallout of the pandemic is very much present and with us. And uh, if we don't address it now, uh, it could have very much a generational impact. And it is interconnected with addictions as well. So when you mm-hmm. get into a desperate position, it's it's quite possible to, to land in an addiction situation too. You can't just say it's you're worried about homeless people. You can't just say you're worried about people who are uh, drug addicted. It, it's it's a it's a mesh of a lot of different layers, and that's what we're trying to deal with. Absolutely. I mean, you look at people who are experiencing homelessness, oftentimes, like the root of that, uh, we look at the presenting sort of symptom that might be addiction or mental health, but the root of it is trauma. And a lot of people, most of the people that we work with have long experiences of homelessness. Um, It's usually as a child, so they've had some adverse childhood experience. Oftentimes, it's you know, people who have experienced uh, the, the residential school system or have been part of the child welfare system and that trauma of being removed from their families um, or other kinds of trauma that have led to mental health issues and then led to addictions that are coping mechanisms because people don't often have access to the kind of health system uh, and supports that would, would be necessary. So I think, you know, when you look at somebody who's experiencing an addictions issue, uh, really the under, what's underneath that is mental health issues that need to be addressed. 
it's a complicated issue and it's one that I think elicits a really complicated response because you know as someone who lives in the core of the city I feel like I see it so much more than mm-hmm. I, than I used to and as I was saying, really at any time of, of day. And, you know, it you feel obviously sad and you want to help, but also uncomfortable because of the unpredictability of someone who is a lot of times very clearly on a substance. How much crime is actually attributed to the homeless community? Or are we assuming that there's crime associated with it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's. I think the first thing to recognize, you know, I was just, uh, I just attended yesterday the the homeless memorial, uh, and we were memorializing over the last three years uh, over 400 people who have passed away, 222 people who have passed away in the homeless community just last year, um, and so when we talk about safety, I think it's first important to remember that those who are most vulnerable in our community are the most at risk. Mm. They're the ones who are usually, like, if they're going to make generalizations about people experiencing homelessness, they're most often victimized and feeling unsecure and unsafe. And so that's one thing to kind of keep in mind in this whole conversation. Uh, The second thing, I I think, is that there are people who do, you know, commit crimes or commit, and there's, there's sort of the petty crimes or crimes of desperation because people are just trying to survive uh, and very rarely and very occasionally um, you know will escalate to something more severe but I think when we're talking about those more severe crimes it's not I wouldn't characterize that as somebody who's experiencing homelessness that's somebody who's probably experiencing very secure severe and acute mental health crises and one of the main challenges we have right now in our downtown as an example I live in the core as well uh, is that there's no place for people to go and so, um, you know, you can have all the police presence you want. You can have uh, all of the sort of those kinds of security measures that you want in place. But we're just talking about moving people around as opposed to finding appropriate places for people to go, particularly people who are in crisis. And so the only option right now for police or for our teams is, you know, it's jail or it's the emergency room if somebody's in crisis. And that's not an appropriate place for somebody who's... Yeah experiencing mental health issues. And I do get the feel of, of sort of an adversarial relationship, or at least it's seen as adversarial, between police and between some of the organizations and how police deal with people who are in a crisis situation or homeless. We were talking with Inspector Angela Kemp yesterday about mm-hmm. about trying to, to get some, some partnerships and to work with the partnerships. This is just a brief comment that she had to tell us yesterday. I want you to react to it afterwards for us. The police are working with several agencies. We have our help teams where we're connecting with um, navigators. We're partnered with the high-risk encampment team um, to ensure that when we deal with houselessness issues that we can connect with people sleeping in these tents and having these concerns right to the resources that they need. And it's important that the police are there because we are the connectors to these areas because um, we always assist EMS. We are always assisting these community agencies that are in these areas helping the people. And so there's there's this this defunding the police idea and that it's seen as an adversarial relationship. From your point of view, is this an important partnership? Does it need to change? Where do we go? Yeah, I think you know there's the there's the um, the oppositional sort of stuff that happens in the realm of politics and the realms of social media. Uh, on the ground, uh, there's good partnerships. We recognize that there is absolutely a need for for police presence. I think even if you ask the people that we serve. 
they want a police presence because they also are part of the city and they want to feel safe. And so um, there's actually absolutely part of the equation. And there's uh, there's no doubt we've always we've always said that, and we have very good partnerships with police. We're part of some of those uh, those teams and those responses with them. Um, and I think it's just about rounding that out and making sure that we have other responses that are appropriate as well. And so if we, we can't police our way out of this, uh, we're going to have to be able to address the root causes. And those root causes really come down to uh, appropriate uh, housing and appropriate places for people to go, appropriate mental health supports. And so uh, police are absolutely part of the solution, but it's not the only solution. We need to make sure we have a, a more uh, complete system to care for people. Yeah, certainly certainly resources and then leadership to direct those to the right places. It's a huge problem. Jordan, thank you so much for, for kind of explaining you know a little bit of the pieces of it and for all the incredible work that you do. We really appreciate you being yeah. on the show. Yeah, thank you, and thanks for taking the time to have this important conversation. Okay, good to talk to you. Jordan Reininger, uh, Executive Director of Boyle Street Community Services, joining us here on 630 Ched Mornings. So as our Safe City series continues, is Edmonton a safe city? Is it not a safe city? Uh, let's now dive into what we were chatting about with Jordan about how drug addiction factors into creating the homelessness problem and how bad the, the drug problem is here in Edmonton. Our next guest is an Edmonton physician who specializes in addiction. Dr. Janetta Salvalagio is joining the show. Doctor, good morning. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Uh, these things are all connected. Uh, we were hearing from Jordan talking about uh, some people who are feeling uh, hopeless and helpless in, in many ways and facing a lot of, a lot of uh, trouble or possible trauma in their lives. Uh, that's where some addictions really kick into gear. It's not where all of them kick in. How bad is the opioid crisis? It's, it's been bad enough, I think, that it was overshadowing, in some cases, the COVID pandemic, which is a stunning situation as well. Uh, is it getting worse on a daily basis here in Edmonton? Uh, well, what we've seen, so first of all, I like to characterize it not so much as an opioid crisis as a poisoning crisis, and, and really it is about, it, it is about um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of contaminants. It's about a toxic drug supply that people don't know what's, what's in the supply anymore, okay. and certainly fentanyl figures prominently, but fentanyl is just, it's a symptom of, 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 a, of a bigger picture, right? Um, but ultimately, yeah, things have gotten um, quite a bit worse uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. It's uh, uh, that's uh, that's only part of the picture, though. It's it's uh, uh, certainly there were there were there was access to fewer resources for people throughout the pandemic, and and um, there was disruption in in the drug supply as well, and further instability of it. Um, but uh, you know, it's certainly a lot of people want to say that it's related to you know so-called lockdowns and so on, and and it. Um, that hasn't borne out. I mean, we've ha- we've seen um, high rates of uh, poisoning events even when the restrictions are minimal. Um, and so I would say, you know, year over year, we're seeing an increase. Is it accelerating right this moment? I don't know because we haven't seen the stats this particular month or last month yet. But uh, it's certainly year over year we're seeing those increases. There's been lots of campaigns to raise awareness, um, sticker campaigns that simply state you can't ignore opioids. But it seems that this is a problem that we just have accepted as reality here. Are are we ignoring it and just learning to live with it? I wish we wouldn't ignore it and learn to live with it. I mean, it's similar to the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, I think those of us who work within the health system will say, I mean, both, both of these issues are... Are, are far more prominent in what we're seeing in our emergency departments and in our offices than what we would like, right? So there, it's definitely an issue on par with COVID as you have described, and it has not gone away. 
Um, and we have a lot of things that we could be doing better. Look, you're a physician, you specialize in in addictions. So this series, we're, we're focusing on whether or not Edmonton is a safe city. So I'm not sure if you can dive in, but I think you, you, you have a unique perspective from where you look at it. Does, does, does addiction uh, not automatically lead to crime, but can lead to crime? There's a desperation that can be there. So you worry about personal harm that people are causing to themselves because of the poison in some of these drugs, but does it go beyond that and affect our safe city? So, I mean, so first of all, I mean, I, I look after people who use substances within a, within a, a community-based, a, a family practice setting, and um, I, I, can, I, can, I can share kind of my perspective from, from seeing them and hearing their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's true that um, for some people, um, unstable <clears throat> use of drugs leads to homelessness, but um, I think it just goes both ways. So if somebody is um, struggling to make ends meet, and we've certainly seen a lot of you know evictions recently over the last couple of years, for example, and so on. I mean, if you think about it, sometimes you're using um, drugs to stay warm at night, um, to to stay safe, to watch your stuff, to stay awake. Um, sometimes you're using it to. Um, uh, stave off hunger pains and those sorts of things and so it goes both ways right and sometimes the the use of substances goes up when someone is is uh, on the street and unable to to get housing so it, it 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 really does go both ways and i i wish i could say it was simple that it was one a one direction thing and that we have to deal with with one root cause but we have to look at everything okay doctor thank you so much for making the time really appreciate it yeah thank you Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.